Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Hawa Idrisu. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, National Police Headquarters dispatches team of officers from Accra to the northern regional capital, Tamale, where clashed between youth of Lameshugu in the Tamale Central and police were left, has left one person dead and eight others injured who touch base with their community and city for more. Also coming up, fix the country convener Oliver Bakavoma was remanded into police custody till the 28th of February after he was paraded in court today over charges of treason felony. And later on Eyewitness News, the controversy over the e-passport appears not to be going away as minority spokesperson on foreign affairs Samuel Okujetua Blackwa raises legal issues with the conduct of the exercise. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on eyewitness news and in business leadership of the nigerian trading community in ghana reiterate calls for government to review its laws pertaining to foreigners in retail trade as in some 50 minutes wait ellen dapa of the city business desk eyewitness news is live across the country on a number of affiliate stations and across the globe on citynewsroom.com if you are listening to us in the western region this must be Beach FM 105.5 in Takradi. If you're in the Bono region, this must be Storm FM 101.9 in Sunyan. In the Ashanti region, you must be listening on Focus 94.3 FM broadcasting from the KNUST campus in Kumasi. In the Volta region, we are live on Revival 99.3 FM in Tajavu. In the Northern region, this would be Radio Bimbila you're listening to on 91.9 FM. In the Upper East region, Eyewitness News is broadcasting through Tanga Radio 93.7 in Bolgatanga and in the Upper West Region, Tunsung 97.3 in Wa is bringing you this live program. My name is Umaru Sandam and here with Howard Idrisu who brings us our first story. Tensions were high this morning when the Northern Regional Security Council visited the Lameshu Nas Palace to commiserate with the community after the shooting incident which has left one person dead in the area. The Munsek, led by the Tamale Metropolitan Chief Executive, Sule Salifu, assured the chief and people of government commitment to ensuring peace in the area. He noted that some police personnel have been interdicted and will be made to face the law if found to have done wrong. However, the chief of Lamashou, Na Ziblim Abdullahi, in his response called for an end to police brutalities in the metropolis and Dagbon in general. <laughs> There were gunshots again when the police had an encounter with some of the youth. And any time they beat the youth, no sanction is meted out to them. My observation since these two incidents happened is that the recruitment process of men into the service should be non-partisan. 
the protocols involved in the recruitment processes can be the cause of these issues because when a big man sends a child to the regional commander for recruitment, when such a person misbehaves, the police cannot control such a person. Politicians should leave the police, the army and the air force alone to do their recruitment. So what happened yesterday should be the last. As we speak, about seven people got injured. That is all what I have to say. The death of that boy should not go unpunished. Please, let it get to the government that they should stop interfering in the recruitment processes. Let's allow them to do their recruitment well. They should let what happened yesterday be the last. I am informed that seven of the youth have been arrested. I want them to be released immediately. Again, I want the body of the boy to be released to the family immediately for burial to take place. You had the chief of Lamasho, Na Ziblim Abdullahi. Meanwhile, the member of parliament for Tamale South, Harina Idrisu, who is in the area to console the victims and restrain the youth, is demanding a full-scale investigation into the incident. Our innocent brothers and sisters who have been injured from live gunshot wounds, from trigger-happy, unprofessional, improperly trained policemen and women who even refused and failed yesterday to respect the fact that a person running into a chief palace is simply asking that the mighty grace of the chief will cover him whilst he subjects himself to the full rigors of the law and justice. What happened yesterday is the third of its kind. We saw it happen in Chamney by the police, take the law into their own hands. We saw it in Napanzo by the same police, unprofessional police, take the law into their own hands. And we saw it yesterday. Enough is enough. And enough of their unprofessional conduct, enough of the tyranny of the people of Tamale under the police. It is a sacrilege when persons empowered and mandated to keep law and order themselves are lawless and take the law into their own hands. He had Minority Leader and MP for Tamale South, Haruna Idrisu. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We are broadcasting around the globe on citynewsroom.com. Let's go to the regional capital, the northern regional capital that is. Our correspondent there is um, Dina Ungwan. She joins us on the line. Dina, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. What's been the development this evening in the community where this shooting incident occurred yesterday? Please come again. I'm asking what the latest development is. So currently, uh, the Lamashebu community is calm after the visit of Rysek this afternoon to the area to uh, assure the chief and people of commitment to ensuring that a lasting peace is brought to the uh, region uh, when it comes to police and uh, residents' relationships. And uh, for now, the place is calm. And uh, we understand a team from uh, 
Accra National Police Headquarters is in there in town to uh, commence with investigation tomorrow. Tell us about the makeup of the team that arrived or is arriving in Tamale, uh, the team from the headquarters. Well, now, I do not have that information here because I spoke uh, with a source from the uh, police, uh, the Northern Police Command, and what I know is that they have arrived, but I, I am unable to uh, tell uh, who uh, are those um, in the team. Tell us about the general security situation. What do you see moving around? So moving around, uh, even uh, within the uh, Lamashigu community, it's, uh, residents are moving about their normal uh, uh, activities, but uh, you see a group of some youth guarded and the issue, um, you hear them discussing uh, the uh, police uh, resident relationship in the area and the fact that it has always been... Uh, there has not been a cordial relationship between the police here and residents, and this is not the first time the youth are agitated. And the, for now, they are on edge, and they, they, they are saying that they want that. And if they don't see uh, any um, concrete uh, measures from the police to ensure that the people involved are dealt with, they will take the law into their own hands. This, uh, this is what they were saying this afternoon when we got there. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Diana Nguan. There is a correspondent in the northern regional capital, Tamale. Let's go on the phone line and speak to the mayor of Tamale, uh, Sule Salifu. Mi Mr. Mayor, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. You sit on top of security for the metropolis, at, uh, at least. Um, tell us what the situation in your city is. Thank you very much, Omar. And um, good evening to your cherished listeners. Uh, I think that um, Tamale is calm and um, we are appealing to residents to still remain calm and allow the due process to take its course. First of all, let me say a very big thank you to the chief of Lamashegu for the immense support he gave to Mexico and Rexford yesterday in rescuing four police officers at his palace and protecting them and giving them back to the police administration in Tamale on head. Uh, this is uh, a gesture that we cannot ignore, but to salute him and say a very big thank you and to encourage him to continue to support the uh, political authorities and the security services to ensure that there's law and order prevailing well in the Tamale metropolitan uh, area. Uh, like your uh, correspondent, correspondent rightly said, Today, there was a joint meeting of the Metropolitan Security Council and that of the Regional Security Council. And the purpose was on two issues. One, to uh, visit the Yamashabu Chief's Palace and to apologize to him for, you know, the, uh, the behavior of some of the police officers in chasing the uh, driver of this unauthorized or unlicensed vehicle into the palace and shooting. Uh, and secondly, to sympathize with the chief for the harm that was caused to uh, some of the residents. Uh, the uh, joint Mexic and Rexic met a delegation from the Yana's palace, led by the Karaga chief, to also uh, discuss the same issue with us. Now, if you 
listening to the Yana's delegation, the chiefs were really not happy about the behavior of the police. But they give about three instances. And one even included the raid at the Yana's palace when the driver uh, was chased into the palace and, and, and beaten. A complaint that since uh, these matters were reported and uh, some sort of um, interdictions took place up till now, the Yana, the chiefs, and the public have not been um, educated as to what the investigation came up with. So the chiefs were really not very happy uh, about it. Uh, what what we also uh, met and told the uh, appeal to the police was that anytime they have instances where they are looking for a suspect, the suspect runs into any of the palaces, they should resort to other you know, means, such as one, getting in touch with the assemblyman for the area to bring the suspect to the police station so that that cordiality can exist, or to even allow the chief to allow one of his subjects to bring the suspect rather than invading the palace, shooting, beating people, and arresting people. In fact, the chief requested because they said that uh, because of the three instances uh, where you know the police said they were interdicting their people and investigations were going to be carried out, they've not had anything, and therefore. This investigation, they want the chiefs to be part of the investigation to ensure that uh, uh, the investigation is properly done and the corporate brought to book. As I can uh, uh, see that uh, the delegation from the uh, police headquarters have arrived and currently having a discussion with the Northern Regional Minister and some members of Rexford. And uh, I, I, I think that um, uh, tomorrow we'll be visiting the Indian people to see how we can uh, support them to uh, uh, be treated and discharged from the hospital. Now, the IGP has started with the uh, police administration in the northern region to take care of the medical use of the, uh, those affected yesterday. And uh, I can assure you that uh, the chiefs and people have um, had a, a, a sort of press conference to uh, you know, calm the, the youth down and uh, to reassure them that uh, the Police administration is on top of the issue. The regional security and the network will ensure that the issues are properly investigated and those culpable are brought to book. I see that there was already bad blood between the police and the community. What does the Metropolitan Security Council know? And could this not have been anticipated and prevented? No, what happened was that there was a swoop in the Ababu forest where we have been... Um, given the force of sea uh, human skeletons around. As a result of that, there was a decision to, you know, uh, take some action in the forest. And that action was actually taken. Over 50 people were arrested, and screening is ongoing. Um, when this thing was done, the police also said that they had intelligence that some people were, you know, dealing with arms and ammunition within, around the forest area. So there were snapchats that... They, they, they mounted to ensure that uh, they, could, they could retrieve some of these items. So when these young guys were, you know, using this on uh, licensed, um, unregistered vehicle, they stopped the, the, the young people and they, in fact, ignored, they didn't, they didn't listen to the police and proceeded. And that's how the police chased them to even the Lamashogochi Palace. And this incident happened. So we, 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 we knew that the police were taking some action 
to bring law and order into you know the Tamil metropolitan area, especially around the forest area. So this was an issue that we anticipated, but just that uh, uh, our beef is that you know the, the the police should not have proceeded into the palace to you know uh, take certain actions while the chief was even sitting uh, just around the palace. Now. The people, ha the people have an issue with the police. It is the same police you are going to be using to maintain law and order. Tell us mm -hmm. how you are going to deploy to the community, uh, considering that they have an issue with the police. Now, would you be rather bringing military men, or you're going to bring the same police people that they don't want to see? No, no. See, see, one thing that I'm very happy with is that the chiefs are participating seriously in this, uh, you know, uh, exercise. And once the chiefs are the custodians of the land and supporting Mexic and Rexic, I think that uh, we'll continue to use the police, but to dialogue seriously with the traditional authorities, the assemblymen or opinion leaders, to ensure that uh, these things are not recur again. So what's the strategy? They are going to be there 24 hours? The, the police? Yes, please. Yeah, yes. Yeah, for the police, whether this thing happens or not, the police have always been, uh, you know, patrolling, you know, around the uh, metro. And uh, I think that this is, this is going to encourage them to intensify that once we still, you know, collaborate and dialogue with the traditional authorities. Very well. Uh, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you very much. That's the mayor of Tamale, Sule Salifu, speaking to us there, uh, live from the northern regional capital of Tamale. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabaka in Accra. There's more to this particular story, however. The Northern Regional Minister Shani Al-Hassan Saibu has condemned the actions of the police officers that resulted in the death of one person at Lameshogu in Tamale. Speaking on Breakfast Daily on City TV, the Northern Regional Minister said Redsec would meet to deliberate on the next line of action. Two days ago, the police had uh, they had an operation around the stadium, Ali Mama Stadium forest. There's a forest around that area. The police had a, a soup there, arrested about two people who are yet to be screened today. Took, uh, took uh, over so many uh, illegal things, guns, machetes, and all sorts of things. And yesterday they were doing a random surveillance uh, around that area. It was that area they met this vehicle. And this vehicle, uh, these guys, the occupants of this vehicle, seeing that they were, they were approaching a police vehicle, 10. So it gave the, the police some level of suspicion, and they wanted to know how. Well, why has this unregistered vehicle seen it and ten? Because they know what we are doing in this vicinity these days. So they, they start off and they had to chase him. Even though the police action to, may I say, irresponsible enough, uh, didn't have to, to do that. Because once, once he was speeding away, they could have found an alternative rather than firing at the vehicle. Yeah. Because they were occupants of the vehicle and anything that happened. So these are all the issues that RECTEC is going to, to deliberate on and to come out with, to prepare some solutions that we would think uh, will bring calm and, 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 and relative, uh, relative calm to the, uh, the, the city. The minister further commended the action of the chief who prevented the situation from escalating. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Significantly, two of these issues that have happened with these uh, confrontations that happened between the police have, have always happened in his area. Hmm. So I think he has learned a lot of lessons from previous things that happened. 
And that helped him to, to be able to protect the life of this policeman. In fact, it was him who called for police reinforcement and to even rescue the police officer. And his palace was a subject of attack. That was the Northern Regional Minister, Shani Al-Hassan Saibu. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. Let's bring some of the reactions you've been sending through. Mahama Bakwojo from SUM says, These are officers in uniform are now power drunk just because we have, an indisi- we have an indisciplined and insensitive government who recruited party. Uh, PK Bansa says, I've always broached this concern. Since the sad incident of 2002, the security forces, the police and the military have never really ceased to brutalize the residents of Dagbang. Government must find a way to act fast to de-escalate the tension. Uh, Nana uh, says NPP government will never be in power forever. When you put the security of the nation in the hands of people without properly, properly, without properly examining their mental health, Due to political reasons, these are the things you get. So Obama in Pokwasi says the IGP must do everything possible to weed out unscrupulous officers in the police service who continue to bring the name of the institution into disrepute. This case should move from interdiction to criminal prosecution. Babamu in Tamale says the unprofessional conduct by some officers is very disheartening. This is the third uh, of this kind, the police officers attacking residents of Tamale. I suggest to IGP Mr. Dampari to call his men to order. We can't allow this unnecessary brutality to innocent lives. Baba Chairman also in Tamale says, Indeed, the brutalities of the people of Lamashehu and uh, for that matter, Tamale must be brought to a halt. Almost 30 years ago, similar things happened to a very promising young man in Lamashehu. He was gunned down by these same police officers. A.U. Farouk also in Tamale says, Seriously, how can a police officer chase someone to the chief's palace and gun down and injure many people around? The unprofessionalism of the police in Tamale must stop. The IGP must warn his men a word to the wise is enough. Alex Kofi Yareni says Ghana is becoming like the song the song played by Adangbia entitled Animal Farm. Adangba titled Animal Farm. The law will always find a way of punishing people they are determined to punish. An example is the convener of the Fix the Country because as far as I know, where is no there is no case that is unbailable. Um, if Tao in Tamale as well says, you can't use unlawful means to curb crime or control violent situations. Uh, you will become a fool if you are being professional with unprofessional persons. The consequences will be undesirable for the youth and the police here in Tamale. Uh, more tweets are coming through. Send yours as well using the hashtag City Newsroom. Uh, using the hashtag City News on tweet at Omar Usanda or at City973. And the world will hear what you think. How about bring us some other stories? The Office of the Special Prosecutor is set to make known its conclusions on three out of the 45 cases it is currently investigating. Among the three are the corruption allegations against MCE nominee for Jobin, who was caught on tape demanding monies he allegedly used to bribe delegates, breach of public. Bu- 
public procurement rules and abuse of office by the former chief executive of the Public Procurement Authority, Ejenim Boatin Eje, who was fingered in an investigative piece by Manasseh Azuri. In a statement, the Office of the Special Prosecutor revealed that the conclusions will soon be made known. Here are excerpts of the statement from the Office of the Special Prosecutor. The OSP will announce in the next few weeks its conclusions and further action in the following cases. La Bianca Company Limited, in respect of alleged corruption and corruption-related offenses in the context of evasion and valuation of duties on frozen and processed food products imported into Ghana between 2017 to 2021 involving La Bianca Company Limited and some high-ranking officials of the Customs Division of the Ghana Revenue Authority. Ajayin day in respect of alleged corruption and corruption-related offenses in the context of public procurement and abuse of office involving a former chief executive of the Public Procurement Authority. Alexander Kwabnasafu Kantanka, in respect of corruption and corruption-related offenses in the context of a public election, particularly corruption and intimidation in respect of a public election regarding the confirmation or otherwise of the nominee for the office of chief executive of the Drabing Municipal Assembly in the Ashanti region. You had accept of a statement from the Office of the Special Prosecutor on updates of cases his office is investigating read by City News' Caleb Kuda. Now, leadership of the new Patriotic Party, NPP, was soon made to deliberate on actions to take against Member of Parliament for Dom Kouabena Adjoa Safo for her continuous absence from Parliament. Some constituency executives and senior NPP leaders have accused the Gender Minister of Blackmail and holding government hostage with her continuous absence from Parliament. In a City News interview, the constituency chairman of the NPP for the Dom Kwabenya constituency, Robert Osebonsu, says the party's National Executive Committee will meet to decide what actions to take. Well, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. We, we, we haven't heard from a member of parliament for some time now. I think efforts that, that the party, her constituents, and as, as a chairman have tried to get to her have all proved to shoot her. The NEC, which is the National Executive Committee, will definitely be deciding on, on it. Do you know when the, the National Executive Committee will meet on this? Uh, not, not exactly, but it shouldn't be long, because indications are that they are also worried about the situation. Oh, definitely so. Uh, it's not helping the party, it's not helping the government and the nation at large, not helping the constituency, and it's not even helping herself. So she's supposed to be in parliament, and uh, this is the first time that this kind of uh, issues are coming up, and I don't think it's in good taste. So we, we, are, we are just pleading that wherever she is, she should, she should let us hear from her. Robert Osei-Bunso is the constituency chairman for the MPP in Dom Kwabinya. The National Democratic Congress, NDC, says it, is, it will avail itself and support for dialogue by the government towards the recovery of the economy. According to the NDC, the current state of the economy reveals the mismanagement by the government. Speaking to journalists after a closed-door meeting by the former president, John Mahama, with members of the clergy, the national chairman of the NDC, Samuel Ofosuampofo, says the party is willing to offer its support toward comprehensive measures in rebounding the economy. This meeting is not about healing, and we need to emphasize the point that 
the president indicated clearly that the situation the country is facing is just a symptom of a bigger challenge that we are facing on the economic front. And for that matter, if there is any attempt by government to come out with a comprehensive plan to address the hydra-headed challenges that we are facing in the economy, we in the NDC side are prepared to uh, put in our bit to ensure that we address the challenges that is facing the country. And that is a very significant point that we need to put out there. From all the indications, as far as we are concerned, the position of the NDC and our minority on illegal still remains. You heard the national chairman of the NDC, Samuel Ofosu Ampafo. In a related development, the ranking member on the Finance Committee of Parliament, Keso Lato Forsen, also revealed that the Ghana Cocoa Board owes in excess of 12 billion cities, making it incapable of purchasing cocoa beans from the produce buying companies. We are hearing that Cocoa Board is not even able to buy up to 42% of what was purchased last year around the same time. So far, figures from the Ghana Cocoa Board themselves suggest that they bought so far 408,000 metric tons of cocoa, as against almost 600,000 metric tons, same period last year. Um, we are worried because we believe that around this time, because Parliament approved for Ghana Cocoa Board to borrow, an amount for the purposes of buying cocoa. We are hearing from the cocoa buying areas that people are ready to sell their cocoa, but the cocoa buyers, in fact, the purchasing companies do not have the money to buy the cocoa for the purposes of supplying to the state and for the state to be able to satisfy the conditions of their contract. So we can only be worried. You heard the ranking member on the Finance Committee of Parliament, Case Ola Tufosin. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM. Let's talk about Fix the Country Now. One of his conveners was arrested over the weekend and uh, he was put before court today and the court has remanded him to the 28th of February. But this happened not in Accra, even though he was arrested at the airport in Accra. He was taken to the court in Ashaman. Kwekwe Diaman, some of the city newsroom, was there. Uh, Kwekwe, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Yes, uh, t- tell us what the mood in court was, what you, you saw generally, the picture. Okay, so I actually got there after 9 a.m. When I got there, the case was already being heard, and, but then outside there you could see heavy security presence. A lot of policemen were there because we had some um, sort of group there who were there to also solidarize with the convener. And so outside there you could see that security presence was really um, great today. Now, um, I was informed by other journalists that the case... Um, we had a lawyer for the convener, Oliver Baca, and the lawyer was uh, Akotam Pao. He was making a case that um, Oliver had already been in the police custody for um, over 48 hours, and so he had to be granted bail. Um, that was not really heard by the judge um, who sat through the proceedings because the prosecutor, DSP Sylvester Sari, also asked that he should be remanded because he claimed that the gravity of the case um, necessitated that he should be remanded so that they can push for further investigations. And so after the whole thing, he was um, remanded into police custody for um, the next two weeks. But then outside there, as um, I've already indicated, there were people there with placards um, actually calling that he should be given bail so that, um, I mean, he could join his family and other people. And so it was, it was, it was really 
serious out there. The mood there was quite tense. And after the whole proceedings, the people joined the police vehicle uh, um, to the police station. They are main issue was that they want him to be released there when we got there to clearly we saw heavy security presence there so it was it was quite a nervous situation there do you, you see him when he was leaving the courts yes what so, was his mood like yes yeah, so when he even um dropped from the vehicle he, he was in high spirit and you could hear a lot of the people chanting his name and all that and he was also um also i mean joining them signaling that he was responding he, yes mm. in one way or the other so um he was in high spirit when he was entering and then when he was even leaving just i looked and kept a little bit i'm thinking because he had been in sales for some time now mm. so maybe mm. i'm sure it, it, it could be the reason for thank that. you so much of the city newsroom who was in court for us in ashaiman today uh, where oliver bakavoma was put before the court and has been remanded into police custody until the 28th of February. This is despite a plea by his lawyer, uh, Akutuampao, uh, for him to be granted bail. Let's listen to a member of the uh, Fix the Country group, Benjamin Daku. He spoke to City News. We are a bit disappointed that the very agencies that we have in these states that are supposed to defend and protect our constitution are rather doing what is contrary to what the constitution says. There are laws, it states clearly in Article 14 that if someone is arrested, within 48 hours they are supposed to be arraigned before a court. Even if it is a lower uh, jurisdiction, that is where you start the process and it is pushed to the higher courts. So within 48 hours, the police knew that it was within Oliver's rights to be arraigned before a court, but they didn't do that. They denied him the right to an attorney and it's been past 65 hours, and we are still going through the same thing that, I mean, that the constitution says this. He hasn't done any act that shows that he's someone who is capable of organizing the coup d'etat. And he hasn't said anything that shows that he wanted to do something like that. So he's someone who has followed due process, and he knows and he likes the law. Just that he loves his country more than what people are trying to force on us to do. And he doesn't want to cotto to the powers that has made all Ghanaian youth feel intimidated, and then they've lost their voice to speak. So things that people find thousand years to say it, Oliver will say it in a minute. And we all have that spirit. That's why we are here today. And Oliver did not say expressively that he was going to do a coup d'etat. I'm not a lawyer. But I know that even in terms of English language, the word coup has two meanings. And within the context that Oliver used it, the other meaning is what he was referring to, not a coup d'etat. And Oliver is someone who speaks French fluently. Coup d'etat is a French word. So he knows what coup d'etat stands for. And he knows that coup in French is nothing close to coup d'etat. Coup in French means that to stroke something, or to hit something, or to cut something. So if he says that he's going to do a coup against the A-Levy, it means that when the A-Levy bill is passed, he's going to come to Ghana and make sure that he cuts and shreds that A-Levy uh, levy that was going to be placed on Ghanaians to pieces. That's Benjamin Daku, his convener of the Fix the Country group. Let's speak to Selam Adono. He's a lawyer, and he works also here with us at CTFM. Uh, Mr. Adonu, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Now, the charge brought against Oliver is a treason felony. Can you explain to the unlearned mind what that means and explain to us what difficulties the state would have to go through in prosecuting this case, if there is any? Well, I'm yeah, very good to our listeners. Uh, so, so the charge brought against uh, Oliver uh, Bakaboma really is what we call a treason felony. 
And we see that a person commits a treason felony uh, when he prepares or endeavors to carry out uh, by an unlawful means an enterprise that usurps the executive powers of the state or the republic in a manner of both a public and a general nature. So what it essentially means is that uh, the person in question should prepare or should be preparing or should be undertaking an endeavor aimed at, you know, unlawfully um, usurping the executive powers of the state. Essentially, that is what it means. So any act that anybody undertakes or tries to undertake to usurp the executive powers of the state, that, you know, can be said to be, or that person can be said to be committing or are committed uh, what we call a treason felony. And that is actually punishable uh, as a first-degree felony. So what it means is that uh, in instances where the person is found guilty of this, the person could actually spend a lifetime in jail. That's serious. What's the process like? So, uh, you know, so as we have it, uh, we go through this process, eventually end up at the high court where a number of judges, three judges in this case, will have to sit and determine, you know, the matter. Because of the very nature of this, the law does not just allow a single judge to do it. Uh, three judges will have to sit, and the wisdom of the three judges will have to come together to determine uh, okay, um, the issue of um, the crime that he's supposed to have committed itself is a bit complex, isn't it? So this was a post he put up on social media. How does the state deal with these matters? How does the law deal with these matters? How would that be analyzed, analyzed considering that he even did not put up that post while in Ghana and so on? What, what's, well, your, um, what's your thinking here? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Patterns of treason, treason felony, etc. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where the, the supposed act was carried out or was hatched. Was the citizen of the country? The law makes it possible for you to be dealt with wherever you are once you get into uh, the jurisdiction of the state. So if it were an outside a foreigner planning to destabilize Ghana, that would be difficult for Ghana to deal with the person. But if it's a Ghanaian, no matter where you are, once your action is being deemed to be treasonable or one of uh, a season felony, once you get into the jurisdiction, the country is able to deal with you in a manner that would have been the same if you planned or hatched the thing in Ghana. Again, uh, the, the, the other question uh, you asked uh, was in respect of uh, what a state will have to do. But what is very critical in this matter is the issue of capacity. So the question is, uh, is well, will Oliver, or does Oliver have the capacity to carry out the thing he said, or it was just something he said out of death or out of recklessness? The state will have to prove, or the state will have to show that indeed Oliver has the capacity to do so. So for example, if you just saw anybody walking anywhere, and the person says he wants to do a coup or he will do a coup, would that be enough for the state to, or the person before the court, go through their process and get that person convicted? The issue of capacity or ability to carry out that and the person's, you know, uh, facilitation, etc., becomes very important in, in the state's work. So, I mean, it, it, it appears like it's a long um, haul. It's uh, a lot of days ahead of us. But I'm not so sure what the state has, 
But if it is just what Oliver has said, I mean, of course, we don't know what the state has, and we don't know what Oliver is telling the state or the police or the investigators whilst he's in custody. So it remains to be seen exactly how the state will want to go ahead with this, with the issue of capacity. I don't know what capacity uh, Oliver has. The state will have to test that, and that has to be said in court. Very well. Thank you so much uh, for your time. That's Salam Adonu. He's a private legal practitioner also here with us at CTFM and CDTV. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We'll be back with more. Don't worry. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News Eyewitness News Be there as it happens You're welcome back the lawyer of one of the three persons standing trial for the alleged murder of Ibrahim Mohammed, popularly known as Kaka, has expressed worry over the series of adjournments on the matter. He says he's particularly disturbed that the advice from the Office of the Attorney General on the matter is still not ready, whereas his client and two other accused persons have been in police custody since June 2021. During the court hearing today, the prosecutor, Chief Inspector Mo Ankara, asked the court to adjourn the matter since the advice from the AG is still not ready. The magistrate handling the case, Ikea Edubwahin, although expressed her dissatisfaction over the delay, agreed and adjourned the matter to March 8, 2022. Sechu Tinam Anaglate is who is a lawyer for brother of Ibrahim Mohammed, Idi Mohammed, expressed his disappointment over the number of adjournments. I'm worried as a result of the series of adjournments. The last time we came to court was in December, and we adjourned the hoping that the Attorney General's advice the Attorney General's advice will inform the judge, the court, whether to prosecute or not to prosecute. So without the Attorney General's advice, we, we can't make any headway in this matter. So unfortunately today, the substantive prosecutor was not in court. We were informed that he is unwell and uh, he wishes to speak with public. And further, the Attorney General's advice is also not ready. So if I join to the 8th of March, I will the Attorney General's advice. Does that not give you grounds for you to move to a higher court to, as it were, free your client from custody? You think about it. I mean, as a lawyer, I would just have to bring the options available to my client. So I'll bring it to the attention, then I'll advise them on the way for it, you know. So I, I will talk to my clients and I will act on their instructions. Does That's that all. include uh, petitioning the AG uh, as well? Oh, there are a lot of things we can do, but I think fundamentally it's about expediting action on this matter. Setu Chinam Anaglate is a lawyer for brother of Ibrahim Mohammed, Idi Mohammed. Now, family member of the late Ibrahim Mohammed have also expressed worry about the series of adjournment. Brother of the late Mohammed, Nafiu Mohammed, spoke on behalf of the family. Actually, the family is not taking it easy at all regarding his arrest. Actually, on that fateful Friday, I was in Accra waiting for him. So I had a call from him that he's coming to Ghana, so I should meet him later around 6 p.m. 
So I was in Accra that fateful Friday, only to be told by Felicity within the evening that he has been absconded by police or unarmed men. He had brother of the late Ibrahim Mohammed and a few Mohammed speaking about the arrest of the convener of the hashtag Fix the Country movement. Some beneficiaries of the youth in afforestation program earlier today protested the failure of government to pay arrears owed them. According to the group, they have not been paid allowances due them for four months, hence their protest. Speaking to City News, the convener of the group, Bosman Educhum Enin, indicated that the group will protest for the next three days to press home their concerns. We've been working for last year, that's 2021. And then our payment have not been done, our allowance have not been given to us. That is from October, November, December. If you want the Forestry Commission and all those who are supposed to pay our money to do justice to that, we need our money. So we are on protest from today up to Thursday. If nothing comes out from this, then you go back to the drawing board and strategize. What will happen is a mega demonstration, which I believe. The whole country is going to witness it. And I'm saying to authority, what is going to happen? Nobody can stop us. We want them to pay our money. And when our money is being paid, we want better condition of services. That's all what we are yearning for or we are demanding from our employers. Bosman Educhum Enin is the convener of for some beneficiaries of the youth in afforestation program. The executive secretary to the vice president, Augustine Blay, has insisted that the Ghana card can also be used as an electronic passport. This follows a statement from the International Civil Aviation Organization rejecting media reports suggesting that it has approved the use of the Ghana card as an e-passport. Speaking to the host of the City Breakfast Show earlier today, Mr. Blaze said the biometric chip of the Ghana card will enable holders return to Ghana without a passport. That, okay, so an e-passport by definition is not a card. Mm -hmm. E-passport is not a book. Okay. E-passport is a chip okay. that has met certain standards set out by ACAO. Okay. How to store your information on there, mm -hmm. the structure of the information that needs to be stored in there, mm -hmm. the security around the information on the chip. Mm -hmm. These are spelled out in the document 9303 by ACAO. Mm -hmm. So Ghana Card, as we when 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 government designed the Ghana Card, in anticipation of all of these regulatory requirements internationally and nationally, ensure that the chip that is embedded in the Ghana Card met the ACAO standard. Mm -hmm. So the Ghana, the chip on the Ghana card itself has met the e-passport requirement. And that's why Akao agreed for it to be uploaded on there. If you take a passport today, Ghana's passport today mm -hmm. is a biometric passport, but it does not have the chip on it, so it does not qualify as an e-passport. The chip on the Ghana card has met that standard of e-passport. And that's why... We, we are able to say that Ghana card, based on the, 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 the existence of that chip, mm -hmm. which is compliant with the requirement for e-passport, is on the Ghana card. So is it true that at the time that the statement, the vice president, was, well, that was read on his behalf, that yes. the Ghana card can be used as an e-passport in 44,000 airports globally? Yes, it's true. 
That was the Executive Secretary to the Vice President, Augustine Blaise, speaking to the host of the City Breakfast Show, Bernard Avley. So that's uh, one of the various or several digital agenda by the government, uh, which has been spearheaded by the Vice President, Dr. Mahmoudou Baumia. But it appears that this particular one may need parliamentary approval, and we have not heard of same. At least that's a claim being made by the minority spokesperson on foreign affairs, who is MP for North Town, Samuel Ogujeto Ablaka. He joins us on the line. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Enlighten us further, please. Well, thank you very much, Omar. Good evening to you and to all our distinguished listeners. We have read carefully the disclaimer from ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Authority Organization, and it is clear to us sorry, the International Civil Aviation Organization, it is clear to us that our government suffers credibility deficit. Our government is just in a mad rush and on a propaganda overdrive. We will appeal to the government and to His Excellency, the Vice President in particular, who is spearheading this process, to stop creating the policy inconsistency, the policy confusion, and misleading the traveling public, or for that matter, the Ghanaian public. The Akaio statement is very, very clear that the claims in Ghana, and if I can read it to you, ICAO is aware of recent and incorrect, incorrect media reports claiming that ICAO has agreed that the Ghanaian ID card is equivalent to an e-passport. ICAO says it is incorrect. It continues to say that, however, it is not ICAO's role to certify the use of a state's identity card for international travel in place of a passport. A number of states worldwide accept special national ID cards as identity documents during air travel based on bilateral agreements between issuing and receiving states. Any decision to accept such alternative travel identity documents is made by the receiving state itself. Ghana's successful conclusion of this key ceremony on 9 February is a major milestone in its efforts to provide for more international acceptance of its electronic travel documents. Unquote. So it is clear that if we want to have our national ID card accepted by other jurisdictions as an e-passport, a recognized travel document, you need a government-to-government or state-to-state bilateral agreement. And by Article 75 of the 1992 Constitution of Ghana, such bilateral agreements must be ratified by the Parliament of Ghana. As I speak to you, Umaro, as ranking member on the Committee on Foreign Affairs, no bilateral agreement is before the Parliament of Ghana. Because ICAO is clear that it is not their duty. It is not their mandate. It has to be a bilateral agreement. And, and this bilateral would mean between Ghana and a particular country or state? Exactly. So does it exactly. mean, per the law, 
for every of the over 100 countries that the country Ghana is hoping to have these bilateral relations with, there should be some form of notification to the House of Parliament which has to be approved before the card starts working between these countries. Yes, all bilateral agreements must be approved by, by the Parliament of Ghana. Even if it's not, even if it's not monetary, if it has nothing, no financial bearing whatsoever. And this is just yes. for transportation purposes. Exactly. Recall the decision of the Supreme Court in the Gitmo 2 case. The Supreme Court held that even not verbal MOUs all the way to treaties, conventions, any form of agreement between Ghana and a foreign country, another country, it ought under Article 75.2a be brought to Parliament for parliamentary ratification. And I can confirm to you, Umaru, that even with our current traditional passports, if we'll call it that way, you know there are three types of passports. The ordinary passport, the service passport, and the diplomatic passport. That is what the passport office in Ghana issues, these three categories of passports. Do you know, Umaru, that all the agreements that govern these passports, so that, for example, if you want to enter into a bilateral agreement with Turkey, as an example, so that diplomatic passport holders do not require a visa, it is brought to Parliament, such an agreement is brought to Parliament for ratification. And we have been doing that either for service passport holders or diplomatic passport holders. So if you are a diplomatic passport holder currently, because of the agreement we have ratified in Parliament, you don't need a visa to travel to Turkey. You don't need a visa to travel to Malaysia, for example. You don't need a visa, you know, to travel to a number of countries. Same applies to agreements we have ratified for a certain special dispensation for service passport holders. So it depends on the nature of bilateral agreements you have. And you need to bear in mind that often these agreements are reciprocal so that how you want to treat me, to treat my travelers, travelers from my country, is the same way I would treat travelers from your country. So that if you say that holders of ordinary passports can probably get a visa on arrival, then same will apply like we have for Jamaica. But if it's about service passport holders, which is the next notch of privilege, then same will apply to you. If it is the highest form, of privilege, which is the diplomatic passport, then there will be reciprocity, the principle of reciprocity. So holders of your diplomatic passport will be treated the same way as holders of my diplomatic passport. Mm, okay. you no. know, so, so all of these agreements come to parliament. As I speak to you, none. That is why that statement issued by the Ghana Airport Authority, <laughs> I mean, uh, purporting to give notice to all airports in the world 
that accepts Ghana card as e-passport from 1st of March. It's a big joke. Look, we've become a laughing stock in the Committee of Nations. If currently, if, people are wondering what's going on. If currently we don't need a bilateral agreement for me to travel to, say, Japan with my Ghana passport, or return from Japan to Ghana uh, with my passport, which is actually what the Ghana card is going to do, why should it need a bilateral agreement if I'm just going to, instead of present my passport at the, at the airport in Tokyo, I'd rather present my Ghana card, which will be accepted? Why, why should that go to Parliament if the first one did not? It, it has to come to Parliament because what has been ratified, we were specific that we are ratifying an agreement for passport holders. It may be service passport holders or diplomatic passport holders, depending on what the case may be. This is a whole new regime. We're talking about e-passports, cheap embedded. And so they will require a different agreement as Akayo has stated clearly in his statement, and per Article 75 of the 1992 Constitution, Parliament will have to ratify that agreement. And remember that this constitutional provision has been further clarified by the Supreme Court in the Gitmo 2 case. So without parliamentary ratification, all these claims being made out there, apart from Akayo distancing itself, that statement that has been issued by the Ghana Airport Company would would take us nowhere. It's, it's really of no of no effect. As, and, as and, a, as and a lawmaker, Mario, let me be clear. Okay. Let me be clear that that the only project that we are aware of in Parliament, and for that matter, the Foreign Affairs Committee, what we are carrying oversight over, is the chip embedded passport with the Foreign Minister last week announced to the general public, I think at the media press, that procurement processes are commencing for us to be ushered from a biometric passport to a chip embedded passport. That's the only project we know which we are following keenly. This business of e-passports and all of that, there's nothing before the House of Parliament, there's okay. nothing before the Committee on Foreign Affairs. Right. And a lot of the claims being made out there, it's, 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 it's really you know, uh, uh, not supported by, you know, proper procedure, by the Constitution. I mean, you, you ask yourself, why the rush? Quick one. You see, you, you don't have the bilateral agreements. There'll be no ratification. You know, Parliament has not given you any... Uh, or, or, uh, Let me just put this quick question and, through. And then you're making all kinds of claims. This, this ratification by Parliament, should it have happened before the rule-out or... The rollout can happen while the ratification is done because there's another procedure like that, right? You get the ratification done subsequent. And again, the full-blown thing starts on March 1. Maybe they'll be bringing it this week. <laughs> you see, that reduces Parliament to a rubber stamp. What, what tells the Ghana Airport Company Limited and those who work there that whatever agreement, draft agreement they'll bring to Parliament will be approved? in the state it is brought. There could be amendments, or it could be outrightly rejected. We may have serious issues with whatever agreement they may bring. 
So you see, let's treat our institutions with respect. Okay. How can you cure this as a member of parliament? Or how do you intend to cure this if you hold it to be an ailment on, against the law? Look, this has been embarrassing. This is a statement and how we are being you know, looked upon in the Committee of Nations. And this statement by the Ghana Airport Company has even further muddied the waters. We intend to summon the ministers responsible for foreign affairs and transport to parliament to tell us exactly what is going on. Uh, I've been reaching out to colleagues on the other side. The Foreign Affairs Committee is going to be demanding, you know, answers to exactly what is going on. We are likely to proceed to initiate some steps uh, at plenary, probably file an urgent question after we have demanded a thorough briefing. Uh, if we are not satisfied, uh, we will we, we, we will we will trigger parliamentary questions, and we will insist that the writing is done because. Okay. This current circus, you know, must stop. This is so farcical. It doesn't do our international image any good. Very well. Thank you so much for your time. That's the Honorable Samuel Kujetua Blackwa. He's a North Tongue member of parliament and he speaks for the minority on foreign affairs. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And we'll be back with more. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by Vodafone, empowered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Ellen Dapar. To our first story, the leadership of the Nigerian trading community in Ghana has called on the Ghanaian government to review its legislations pertaining to foreigners in retail trade. According to the group, tax increments, regular locking of their shops, among others, is a huge hindrance to their businesses. Speaking to City News, the Igbo king of Ghana, Dr. Dr. Chukudi Jude and trade union leader Divine Nwandu called for an expanded dialogue in dealing with the issue. They made the following comment on the sidelines of a visit by the chief imam of Imo State of Nigeria to the national chief imam of Ghana, Sheikh Osman Nuhu Sharabutu. Recently, there have been some tax issues with the government of Ghana, and uh, we, the importers, have been fighting very hard to see that. Uh, the government of Ghana look into that tax because it will be very difficult for us to trade looking at the different taxes that are connected to importation. It is very difficult for us because our clients are not taking it lightly. Very, very difficult for us to trade. So we are pleading with the government of the day to look into those things and make it easy for us so that we can uh, import our goods and sell them without problems. And the tax issue should be a gradual process. When you put it at once, it becomes a huge burden to us, the businessmen. A lot of good things are happening here within all the foreigners that live in Ghana. But a particular problem we have here is chasing us out of the market. I know there are some things that is prohibited for foreigners not to do. And they cannot bend their laws because of us. But I'm begging them to tap justice with mercy so that we can accommodate each other and have a healthy relationship between Nigeria and Ghana. Because we are here to support the economy. We are not here to destroy Ghana. 
You heard the Igbo King of Ghana, Dr. Chukudi Jude, and Nigerian trade union leader, Divine Nwandu. Now, right-based campaign and advocacy organization, EcoCare Ghana, is asking chocolate companies, cocoa traders, and the government to collaborate to establish a, de a deforestation monitoring mechanism to check forest encroachment and illegal cocoa farming. This comes on the back of a data analysis by global advocacy organization, Mighty Earth, which reveals that Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire continue to see huge areas of forest being destroyed to make room for cocoa production. According to the report, Ghana alone has lost 39,497 hectares of forest cover within cocoa growing areas between 2019 and 2022. Obed Owusu-Adai, the managing campaigner at EcoCare Ghana, speaking to the media today suggested that, defore that the deforestation mechanism will help solve this problem. What we are recommending or the recommendation from this report is that it's about time that we forgot about uh, especially the private sector and chocolate industry forgot about their parochial interest and look at the greater interest of Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire and begin to work with governments to establish a credible forest monitoring system with the data that they have and the data that Cocoa Board and Forest Commission is also collecting, put them together and we can identify where illegal farms encroachments are and we work towards resolving that problem. If we don't do that, the recommendation from this report is that all this talk of sustainability and, and, and especially today is Chocolate Day and Valentine's Day, probably in the next 10 years, Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire might not be producing the cocoa at that, that, that quantum and I'm sure you, have, you might have read China has begun or has come into the into the space and they are also producing a lot of cocoa and our our lands will not be sustainable enough to sustain cocoa production. Let me take that one again. Because of the climate that was the managing campaigner at EcoCare Ghana, Obet Ousu Adai. Away from that, Holad Life Assurance, a subsidiary of the insurance group Holad Ghana and Lotus Detox and Wellness Center, have partners to reward. They've partnered, rather, to reward premium customers of the latter with a free life insurance package to the tune of 20,000 Ghana cities. The move comes on the back of a growing trend which is seen working executives and other Ghanaians prioritize their personal fitness and overall wellness. There's more in the following report. Holad's comprehensive life assurance package covers total and permanent disability, temporal disability, critical illness, and death of persons on Lotus's premium wellness programs. The programs include detox, weight loss, pain relief, and stress relief. Speaking at the brief announcement ceremony at the premises of Lotus Detox and Wellness Center at Jolene Accra, the managing director of Holad Life Assurance, Nashiro Idrisu, said the initiative comes to confirm Holad's caring nature. So hitherto, if you were to walk in here to do anything wellness, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't get a life insurance cover. If you were to walk into our offices to do anything life insurance, you will not get without this partnership. Now, this partnership offers existing customers as well as new customers, you know, who who want to join us. This value add. So we're saying that for the um, kids, Lotus, they're giving um, within this festive period, talking about Valentine, a, a hooping 20% discount to anybody who walks in here to have um, anything wellness. On her part, the founder and CEO of Lotus Detox and Wellness Center, May Meskawi, said Lotus Detox and Wellness Center integrates traditional medicinal approaches with modern science to help Ghanaians live healthier and more abundant lives. She expressed confidence that the partnership will leave their clients better off. So I think it's a win-win situation 
for us, uh, for our clients and for Hollard clients, because also Hollard will be offered uh, some services from our uh, center. We will give them a free consultation for some of their selected, uh, you know, clients. But we will also offer uh, a discount, a 5% discount, special discount for all Hollard clients. Mm -hmm. You heard the CEO of Lotus Detox and Wellness Center, Mimes Kawi, ending that report filed by Benjamin Aklama. And finally, the Ghana Chamber of Construction Industries is calling for a swift passage of the condominium bill. The bill, when passed, is expected to regulate activities in the country's housing sector, particularly for both residential and non-residential condominium properties, also known as compound houses. Speaking to City Business News, the CEO of the Chamber, Imano Sherry, stated that although efforts by the sector ministry is commendable, his outfits believes it's about time the laws are passed. Honestly speaking, the Minister for Works and Housing, through his, uh, together with his uh, uh, administration, they've tried as much as possible to do the needful. So as we speak, they've been able to come out with position paper. They've requested position paper from all the key stakeholders, which is very laudable. So all the key stakeholders have submitted their position paper. So on that note, they also forward it as we speak. This particular paper is before this bill, this draft bill is before cabinet. So cabinet is going through. It will definitely come back to us for us to go through and do validation. So definitely there is a, how do you call it? For now, we may say it's better late than never. There is an action ongoing, which we must applaud the Minister for Works and Housing, Honorable Francis Asenso Bwachi. He has done well, but we would like to see the speed. That one alone cannot solve the housing sector needs. Condominium bill, he has started work on that as well. The rent act also must be relooked at. So there is going to be, there is uh, ongoing, uh, how do you call it, a review of the rent act. So all this uh, factor together, automatically is going to at least boost the housing sector of the economy. So we applaud the minister, but we'd like to see more of his action. Imano Sherry is the CEO of the Ghana Chamber of Construction Industries. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by Vodafone, empowered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Ellen Dapa. Up next is Points Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Omaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, we are focusing on the problems in the education sector, specifically public universities. The University Teachers Association of Ghana has been on strike. Its members have been on strike. 
for more than a month. And as we speak, there seems to be no headway. Tomorrow they are supposed to return to the court to iron out issues. But in the interim, the students are suffering on campus. Now this has become a source of worry for many education watchers, including no pun intended Africa Education Watch. Kofi Asari is executive director. I want to engage him briefly on what he proposes the way out should be. Mr. Asari, welcome to um, Poem Blanc on Eyewitness News. Monitoring events from where you are monitoring them, uh, would you also hold the view that there the seems to be uh, or a breakdown of negotiations and lectures may well not be back tomorrow and there's a need to take some action to save the students' pocket money as, at least? Um, good evening, uh, Maros. I I think we need to what we call negotiation within its proper context. Um, from the information I have from both parties, there is no negotiation yet. Negotiation is where both parties, the employer and the employee, sit around the table to discuss the proposal, in this case, of Utah. But we have a situation where the employer has not yet made an offer in respect of the proposal of the employee. So there's no negotiation taking place. We haven't started negotiation. What has been taking place is that employer and employee meet. Employer keeps appealing to employee to rescind their strike. And as I keep saying, if you understand the dynamics you understand the context and the history of UTAG strike, you would appreciate that when such strike enter with three, with four, with five, and in this case we are entering with six, part of the solution is not appealing. Part of the solution is not appealing. A solution lies in both parties making concessions um, and agreeing to a win-win. But Appeals, I don't think, um, you know, has a solution, you know, in respect of such um, strikes. Okay, now, when you say concessions, you believe that the concession, more of it should be coming from which side? Well, there's an, there is an agreement between Utah and government, um, based on which Utah called on the earlier strike in August or so last year, after his excellency, the vice president, intervened. So there was an MOE. Between then and now, I think government has no proposal um, in respect of uh, the the entry level uh, salary issues. Government made a proposal of thousand six hundred dollars or so, and then have rejected it. This was last year, around September. Utah kept demanding what was due them per 2012 single spine um, discussion, which is uh, two thousand and eighty or so. So since then, Utah kept reminding government of the agreement in the MOU of last year. They kept reminding every month. So at this point, immediately Utah declared a strike and repeated its proposal. What should have happened was that government should have had negotiations with Utah and made a counter. If government is prepared to pay Utah's 2080 or so from this year, and government wants to pay, let's say, thousand eight hundred from this year. That will be a, that will be counter 
that would be an offer from government that is compromised. What government is saying is that a thousand six hundred dollars cannot start this year. It can start from 2024. So if government says, okay, 1,600 for 2024, it revised upwards, let's say 1,800 to start this year, then government has made a concession. If you start saying that, okay, our 2,080 bags or so, um, um, uh, okay, we agreed that we're going to take 1,800 this year, so it's a concession by the party. That is where you can actually have the word negotiation ascribed to the process. But for now, it is about employer employee employer only appealing, employee not any offer to government for up to six, I mean, for almost six weeks. That is what has been happening. So I'm afraid, as I keep saying, no negotiation is going on. I heard the Utah uh, president earlier in the day, and he indicated that uh, it is not economically prudent to keep students in school because there are wasted utilities. There is no teaching and learning taking place. Um, and then he indicated that there is absolutely no progress in respect of their discussion. So, so your your view would be that what what should happen to the students? Uh, my my view is that government will have to make an offer. The government is simply saying, "I can I can see." Government is simply saying that we will only make an offer if you call off your strike. I see that that is that is government's poster. That has been the NOC's poster from day one that it will not negotiate with striking workers. Page rules of engagement. So I think that is where government is still standing. So that position ought to shift or change, shouldn't it? It has to change because in this case there's an intervening factor to that particular rule, which is the MOE that designed those government based on the intervention of the police devices last year when it went on strike. It is in the context of that MOU that government is not respected, which we have relied on and um, and cancelled the last year's strike. That UTAC is of the view that they have been taken for granted because they relied on government's promise. And the MOU with them retreated back off, retreated from their strike only for them to come to the same place after five months. And government is moving. So that is the context within which I can say that government will have to bend the rules in respect of not engaging striking workers and make an offer to UTAC for negotiations to be done. For now, there are no negotiations. Very well. Thank you for speaking to us. Eh? That's Kofi Asari, he's executive director of the Africa Education Watch. Let's hear from the government through the Ministry of Education. Now, Kwesi Kwarten is the PRO of the Ministry of Education. Mr. Kwarten, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. The parties are to be going back to court tomorrow. Um, do you have good news returning to the court tomorrow? Yeah, Ivan. Tomorrow. Uh, 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 yeah, good evening. Uh, apparently, you recall that uh, the Ministry of Education had earlier on been engaging uh, the leadership of you talk for some time now. And uh, the last time I spoke to you, I indicated to you that there were even a point that we brought in uh, Vice Chancellor Ghana to also come and help with the discussion. Uh, so these engagements and talks that we have been holding has been going on for some time now, except that it's taken in different forms. A lot of them behind the scenes 
and a lot of these engagements to is now more individualistic because ultimately our whole aim is to be able to uh, get UTAC to call up the strike. Uh, of course, I mean, the last time we went, because that was even on the Thursday, that very fateful Thursday, parties had even met and engaged in the morning. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, there was a deadlock, or let me put it, the, the uh, engagement was inconclusive. And so when we went to the court, the court was clear that we should further on engage. Uh, I can say that that engagement uh, took different forms, but ultimately, uh, the Minister for Education was still engaging all parties within the UTAC fraternity. As of now, the, a lot of this engagement has, has, has not been uh, very conclusive. Uh, I'm unable to, for instance, say that uh, 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 parties have reached, uh, let's say, a very concrete resolution. And so you know that there is a process to arriving at, at, at uh, 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 the means that you all want. One of them includes the alternative dispute resolution approach that we're adopting. And the other is the court process that we are all aware of. And so, like you rightly know, tomorrow we'll be heading to the court once again uh, for a determination on the matter, a matter that is between the NLC and UTAC, uh, which, of course, I mean, uh, government in, in, in extension. And so we'll wait for the, the outcome of the court tomorrow. And uh, as of now, that is the update that we have from our end. You don't sound positive about tomorrow at all. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that is the case. Uh, unless, of course, I, I want to prejudice... What I mean by positive is that you haven't suggested to us that there's any conclusive meeting. You've said all the meetings so far in various forms have been inconclusive. What that means is that's a report to be given to the court tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I'm saying that I'm, I'm able to speak from the Ministry of Education our end that with regards to our engagement with the leadership of Utah, both at individual level and uh, corporately, uh, it's been inconclusive, inconclusive in the extent that at the end of the day, what was even the essence of the engagement? It was to call up the strike. And I'm sure if the strike had been called up, at least the whole Ghana probably would have even uh, known even before we, 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 we get to the court for a pronouncement or determination to be made on our resolution. But I'm saying that as of now, no such decision has been made. And so I will continue to still engage, uh, even though we, we, we may also have to avert ourselves, or avail ourselves to the court process for probably what the judge will also have to say on that. So yes, uh, a lot of our, our engagements has not yielded an outcome in terms of calling of the strike. Uh, but as to whether or not we have been engaging, yes, that has been going on. And I think I, I heard Kofi just recently on, on, on the subject of the engagement. I think I want to still make it clear that the engagement has not been a subject of negotiation. Uh, I'm unable to probably make an interpretation of our labor laws, but our labor laws are very clear okay. that you are unable to negotiate when parties are on strike. And that position, and so, you, are, you are still like going to be standing on that party position that you, you don't negotiate with striking teachers? I think, I think, I think the, 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 the other fundamental question too is that probably we should also be asking why our professors of law uh, also 
probably not also being flexible and uh, when it comes to the position of the law. Why okay. will we, uh, our professors of law, who want to engage uh, within or probably out of out of the context of the law or outside the framework of the law? I'm not sure that is what the precedent that any of us, being in the okay. government side or even our professors, want. Very well. Thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. Thank you. So... That's Chrissy Kwatin, his PR of the Ministry of Education. Let me conclude uh, this uh, set of interviews with Professor Solomon Nuno, his national president of the University Teachers Association of Ghana, UTAC. Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. You'll be back to the court tomorrow. Do you have good news going to the court? Um, the news will actually be given when we get to the court. When we get before the judge, then we'll talk to him. Okay, but is the news looking good? Um, the judge will know. He, he should be the first to know the outcome. Okay, when was the last time you had a meeting with um, the other party involved in this issue? Um, other party, as in the government side or yes, the NLC? Yeah, yeah, well, the government side and then the NLC. Um, NLC, we've not had any meeting with them, but we have had um, we had two meetings with the government side last week. And um, in all the meetings, um, it ended inconclusive. Nothing really was determined. And so the last meeting was last week? Last week, um, Thursday. So through uh, from Friday through Monday, you haven't been invited to any meeting? No, nothing like that has taken place. What that means is that you will be going with a position of inconclusiveness to the court tomorrow, and they would also be doing the same? Um, that one, I cannot uh, confirm that or otherwise. Based on the meeting we had, we went to the court last week, Thursday, and then we reported to the court um, the outcome of the two meetings. Uh, the outcome of subsequent meetings that we have had among ourselves and those ones we will be reporting to the courts when we meet there tomorrow. Okay. What is the UTAC position? Are you still going to be on the strike? Is that your current position? Um, as we talk now, yes, we are on strike. Um, as to tomorrow at 2 p.m., the judge will know the position of UTAC. So as we speak, is there a planned UTAC executive or general membership meeting to possibly review the strike between today and 2 p.m. tomorrow? Um, we held a meeting yesterday and then we reviewed the strike and everything. And so tomorrow, God willing, when we meet in court, we'll report to the judge. But your meeting yesterday, you, you affirmed to continue with the strike? Nobody has said that. We said we'll report to the judge when we meet tomorrow. I was saying, since it was an internal UTAG meeting that you had yesterday, did that meeting, yeah. after reviewing the strike, decide that let's continue or let's suspend or let's call it off? The judge requested for that meeting, so the report is going to be given to the judge. Oh, did the judge ask for an intra-UTAG meeting? I thought it was an inter-UTAG and NLC meeting. No, what the judge requested for was that NLC should go back and then start their processes to withdraw the case from court. And Utah should also start the processes to also suspend the strike action. There were two um, directives that were given to the two parties. NLC withdraw the case from court and then Utah also start the processes. So Utah has started the processes and Utah will report into the court. You are not aware so, if NLC has withdrawn the case or attempted to withdraw the case from the court as yet? I'm unaware of that. All right. We'll be back and we'll be with you in the court tomorrow to see what happens and let our listeners know. Thank you so much, Prof, for speaking to us. You're welcome. So that's the National President of the University Teachers Association of Ghana, UTAC, Professor 
Nunu there, Professor Solomon Nunu. And that will be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Omar Sanda Amado. Uh, production by Sixtus Don Ulo, Beverly, London. Zoe Abubedu Ado and uh, Anas Sedo. The technical support came through from Daniels Kwashi. Eyewitness News will be back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. City News, we speak first. Reach our hotline on 03-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.